Tuesday, November 16th, and you're back on another edition of Kentucky Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Trey Watson, and uh, joined today by uh, Kentucky Politics Weekly international correspondent, uh, hailing from the very least out-of-state location of Tennessee, uh, former Young Republican National Federation chairman, and my good friend, Jason Emmert. Jason, good to have, good to have you back on the podcast, man. Great to be back, Trey. Thank you so much for having me. I, I like that new title I got, um, <laughs> Foreign Correspondent. I'm, I'm all about that. I'll add it to my CV. <laughs> there you go. That'll, that'll, that'll get you some, some, uh, <laughs> some extra jobs. Like you need several more. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, we're recording on Tuesday today, this week, because uh, I am dishing the kids with my, my mom and getting into town and uh, wanted to go ahead and get a podcast in because there's a lot going on in the news. And uh I think I talked about at the end of the podcast last week that I wanted to talk about some stuff going on in uh, internationally, especially in Europe. And so that's why I wanted to have Jason on. Uh, Jason's spent a lot of time uh, traveling abroad, both uh, as, a, as an attorney, but also kind of as an, as an ad, advocate for both the uh, democracy, uh, democratic elections, and uh, uh, you know, for, for a multitude of conservative parties that, you know, Conservative is, is a different definition, I think, if you agree in every, in every country that you would visit. Uh, but, you know. Center yeah, right is probably the better yeah, moniker for them. Center right. And, 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 and really, let's just say it's, it's classical, classical liberalism more than anything, right? Uh, you know, belief in freedom and. and free markets, free people. Yeah. Free trade. That's what I always say. So, Absolutely. Uh, so Jason and I are both from the similar wings of the uh, party when it comes to, to foreign relations. Uh, Rhinos, of course. Well, you know, I, I, remember, I, remember, I remember when I was a crazy, crazy radical right winger because I was a club for growther. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, had a, I had a funny conversation. We just, we just uh, honored Lamar Alexander here as East Tennessean of the year, and, and Leader McConnell had a funny video with him. Um, kind of about how they were both at one time considered far-right Republicans whenever they were getting involved early on in their careers. <laughs> and, you know, now there's a there's a certain part of the party that thinks they're colluding with uh, a socialist agenda and, and trying to, to bring in a left-wing um, autocratic government to the U.S. So it's kind of funny how times have changed. Yes. And, and you know, you don't have to move. It'll, it'll move for you. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people have. Ch- I mean, Lamar and, and and Senator McConnell are probably the exact same people they were forty years ago. So absolutely. Um, all right, well, let's 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 talk about uh, what's going on in Europe. Uh, we're talking before we started recording. Uh, you actually spent time in the in the Ukraine this summer, uh, and, yes. and you've and you've for, for over a number of years spent a pretty decent deal of time in in Eastern Europe on a variety of uh, political missions. Uh, you know, for those of you not following what's going on, there's a there's a heck of a showdown going on um, at the far right border of the EU, uh, uh, over uh, on the Polish border, uh, Belarus, and uh, out. You know, I've read some of the articles about it. it's crazy. Like the people in Belarus are picking up people in mints, taking them to the Polish border, helping them cut the fence open. And these are like Syrian, Iraqi, you know, Middle Eastern refugees. Uh, they're like helping mm-hmm. cutting the, the border fence open. To get into Poland, then the Poles are catching them, sending them back to Belarus, and then you know they got a lot of people saying like, "Well, can I just go to the airport and go back to Syria?" They're like, "No, no, we, we ain't taking you anywhere. You're you're you're, head, you're headed <laughs> west." And so you have where there is a massing an army of immigrants just living in this forest 
on the on the border. And you know, a lot of speculation is that this is being done an organized effort by the uh, by uh, uh, by Russia to pressure and destabilize uh, the EU. For those of you who don't know, Belarus is the only uh, former Soviet state who's attempted to rejoin Russia. Uh, they're tied at the hip. They're basically a satellite state of of the Kremlin. Uh, so, kind of, you know, what are you seeing here, and, and what what are your thoughts on what's going on on the on the Polish border right now, Jason? Well, I, I just want to point that it's not just the, the Polish border. You know, they're kind of outside uh, Grad now. If you look at the if you look at the the northwestern corner of of Belarus, but when you look at that map, you have Lithuania too. So so it's also a Lithuanian problem. And and uh, one of my I have a great friend who's on the Security Council or, or on the Defense, basically our our version of House Armed Services Committee uh, for for Lithuania, and he's on the border every week. Uh, they have troops along the border, um, and it's just a classic Russian hybrid hybrid war manipulation of migrants. And un- unfortunately, these people who are who are in dire need of, of support and help uh, are just pawns. And like, um, if you're unfamiliar with uh, Belarus and Poland and Lithuania in the winter, it gets quite cold, and you yeah. have these people who are who are unprepared. And so part of the hybrid effort now is you're going to see um, some humanitarian groups coming in and, and saying, and you've already seen some of it. Um, and even within Lithuania's on parliament, you see, um, you see some of the members of the far left parties saying that, you know, you need to let these people in. It's a cold winter. It's uh, they're having hypothermia in the forest. Like it's uh, immoral to keep these people uh, there is a, a not a wall per se, but there is a we'll call it a big fence. So, yeah, the articles I've read specifically in Poland said it's basically a chain link fence. It's basically a chain link fence. Yeah, it's a tall chain link fence, but it's not like it's um, um, a huge wall. It, however, it's probably certainly did, more. But did, 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 uh, Mexico, did, Me- did Mexico pay for it? That was the question. Mexico actually hasn't paid for that one. Because uh, they they're still we're still waiting on payment for the one at the U.S. <laughs> um, however, I think the chain link fence is more secure than just the tall slats that the Trump administration put up uh, that people just seem to get right through. Um, yes. But the, and so you know you, you have this you have a, 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 this hybrid war where now you have people you have Russian influence in in the in the left wing political class of Lithuania and a certain degree maybe in Poland uh, you have them infiltrating journalists and they're writing stories about humanitarian issues at the border. Uh, then you have an escalation on, on, on Belarus and, and Russian operatives who are there on the border stoking, um, stoking tensions. They're throwing rocks, and then that gets uh, responded to with these big water hoses and big water cannon blasts uh, from the Polish side, and I think the Lithuanian side as well. Um, and so you're going to see this, 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 this hybrid war. And, and look, it's, it's just... Uh, Putin is is a is a is a great Klaus Klauswitz character, um, and he is understanding this hybrid warfare. Uh, what, what does Klauswitz say? Is is warfare is an act of violence that's uh, intended to compel our opponent to fulfill our will? Well, I, I think that they're using migrants in a way to to provoke violence, 
and kind of destabilize the political situation at home. They saw how effective a migrant crisis was in, in Germany uh, that allowed the Merkel to almost completely capitulate uh, to a migrant crisis that, that destabilized a lot, of, a lot of the EU. You're still seeing the ramifications uh, in Greece, especially. And, and so Russia sees this as an effective mechanism to enforce their will. All while this is a giant distraction, they've amassed almost 100,000 troops on the Ukrainian border in yeah. eastern Ukraine. And so it's, it's a hybrid war, but it's also a multi-front, it's a multi-front war between Belarus, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, and then into the, the another country of, 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 of Ukraine. And then let, let's and, roll into this as well, the, the, the dependence on large areas of Western Europe on uh, Russian, Russian natural gas for, for energy. Um, and, you know, those pipelines run through Belarus and the Ukraine to power economies such as Germany. Um, you know, I know Belarus is already saber rattled on the potential of shutting off the pipeline if uh, the situation is resolved in, in their favor. So, you know, it, it's it's a uh, I mean, Russia's holding a lot of cards in this in this uh, in this conflict. They absolutely do. You have. Uh, I know that there's been some speculation that the the the, the Yamal European pap- pipeline that goes through Belarus would would be cut off. I think uh, Lukashenko has threatened uh, to turn that off to what degree he can. I think what's important to know is that all the migrant crisis, the destabilization at the border, none of this is being done without either the support or approval of the Kremlin. I mean, it's not going to happen. Belarus is, is a is a satellite state of Russia, um, and I think I, you know, I I believe you know I was texting with uh, uh, the former, uh, uh, basically the the chief of the National Security Council for Ukraine, one of the first under under uh, Zelensky in his early in his administration, who was saying that he believes that that Belarus is going to be fully annexed in, into Russia. And I think John Bolton has said the same thing here recently on some shows. I, I don't think there is, I don't think this is far fetched. I mean, I they, they've tried multiple times to, to rejoin. So it, it certainly wouldn't shock me if that was a, if that was a, <laughs> Jason throws his cat away from the screen. <laughs> it, it wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if that, if that was a, if that was a, you know, or a, not a resolution, but, you know, a, a next step in this process, certainly. Uh, Belarus rejoining the rejoining Russia. I absolutely. I mean, I think that I think that's the way that keeps Lukashenko in power uh, to some degree. You know, I think there has been success in the democratic protests, but they've also received no support from the West. Um, there could have been a great opportunity under President Trump to show a support for uh, democratic uh, uh, change in Belarus, uh, and then you have the naivete of of the Biden administration that has kind of continued the. Uh, the same line as as the Obama administration. Whenever you know you go back to the insult of Mitt Romney, who was right about yep. Russia being our 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 greatest geopolitical adversary, and you know talking about the 1980s, one of their foreign policy back. Well, you know what? We're back to the future, and and we've had three consecutive administrations that don't know how to handle hand, handle Russia and have allowed them to continue to gain influence. And to sow discourse, whether it's through cyber means, it's through destabilization of borders, it's through encroaching on sovereignty, uh, and and the West has done nothing about it. And it's not just the U.S., of course. I mean, like you know, Merkel, Merkel gave 
Putin a great going away present from herself. Like uh, Nord Stream 2 is, is just a huge benefit, benefit, benefit to Putin. Um, it completely destabilizes Ukraine. It, it puts them at odds um, with, which, with West. With which, the by the way, two, two, I don't know if you saw two hours ago, uh, it was reported Germany suspended the approval of Nord Stream 2. I did not see that. Yes, Germany suspended approval of it. Well, that's great. I mean, I, that's that's very good news. I mean, I, I think that it's becoming very clear that Russia was not going to um, not going to comply with what the West had envisioned, and 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 Russia is not a good actor. Should not be taken on good faith, and should be should be kept out as a pariah. I mean, like uh, the, the sanctions only go so far. You can sanction uh, Putin. You can sanction his friends, but ultimately that doesn't really solve anything. Well, and that, it seems like there's, there's just, there's this odd refusal to accept the fact that they are, are enemy that like the cold war, the cold war ended kind of sorta, but it, 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 it really more, more accurately shifted into a different phase and, you know, refusing, refusing to understand and admit that these people are, are adversaries. They're not people who can be helped to reform. They need to be fought. You know, it, it. I don't understand the refusal by the Trump administration, the Trump administration, the Biden administration, the Obama administration, their, their hesitance to engage on this front. I think that there is. I just think it's just this naive. We've we've grown up in this tremendous era of peace, like you know, and, and people want to to try to see through the good intentions, and that's just not how the world works. It's not what. Russia views the world and, and you get taken advantage of. And that's what we've seen with Crimea. You've seen it with the Donbass and Eastern Ukraine. Um, the annexed territory that doesn't belong to them. They've expropriated businesses in Eastern Ukraine and Crimea uh, that are both Ukraine and other international businesses. Um, it's a total failure of the West. It's, it's, it's really a failure of NATO. And, and, and we're going to end up paying a bigger cost for it because we didn't nip it in the bud so to say from the beginning um we have to get real about confrontation and 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 i don't i don't say that lightly you know i i certainly don't um advocate for war war is awful um i mean there's there's other there's other options than armed conflict to engage in 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 conflict, you know that doesn't have to be no, armed. There's, there's, no, there's, other, there's I mean, other ways we can do it, and, and we're we're not we're not even ex- exhausting those options. No, we we were just relying on sanctions and hopefully that they'll comply. I mean, I think you could do other things. You could show that NATO is serious and have a buildup of forces of NATO. You can you can arm the Ukrainian army in a way that is serious to take back areas. You don't have to have a full on confrontation, but I think not having the military issue on the table is is certainly allowing. Russia to to have a full full scope of influence in, in both the the hard military and in cyber capabilities as well. I mean, Russia is is the preeminent uh, cyber manipulator around the world. They have uh, they have destabilized our elections here. They are uh, uh, they are a uh, they and, are and by the way, they're doing it. They're, and they're doing it in other countries. It's not just oh the yeah, United no, States. no, it's not just here. It's in the UK. It's in France. You see it in Germany. I mean, South America. It's South America. You're right. I mean, like it's it's all over the place because all they have they have these, you know, they have the farms of of cyber manipulators all over the place. And cyber warfare is is where we need to be talking seriously with them. And it's not necessarily kinetic. Um, 
you know, vis-a-vis -vis opposing forces, but we could do a lot more in the cyber world than we should be doing a lot more to confront Russia because we've seen the effect here in a very yeah. sophisticated society. They've been very easily to manipulate our society and you take a less sophisticated society, especially some of those uh, in Latin America, you're going to get a lot of chaos. And, and Putin is, is a grand purveyor of chaos and he doesn't care. It doesn't necessarily have to benefit Russia so long as it destabilizes his adversaries. That's the you, benefit. You know, it kind of feels like to me, like, uh, I mean, are they even requiring people to read Thomas Hobbes in school anymore? Like if it feels like everybody's reading all the touchy feely parts of, uh, of, of leaving the nation state. Then nobody's reading Hobbes, you know, uh, life is nasty, brutish and short and everybody's out for themselves. Like I, I feel like we need to send all these leaders, uh, a copy of Leviathan and, and get them uh, get get them get them read up on on the realities of, of life here. <laughs> I try to bring it up in, in my classes. You know, I, I teach international law at, at a, a law school in Knoxville, Lincoln Memorial School of Law, a great law school where we've got this international program up and off the ground. And you know, we talk about how uh, the, the war is the father of of humankind, and we talk about Clausewitz, and we talk. Leviathan and we you know this is like um, I, I try to paint what the real world is and you know all these different international agreements are great it's it's wonderful to have people come together across the table and shake hands and and pat each other on the back to have something on on the four corners that means a lot until it doesn't and and kind of we're, we're in that era right now where people can say whatever they want sign any document they want and it means nothing you know so let's Speaking of things that mean nothing, uh, let's talk real quick. You know, they just wrapped up the big climate conference in Scotland. Uh, by the way, my favorite my favorite image from that whole conference was the uh, like dozens and dozens of diesel generators hidden behind uh, like temporary walls covered with murals that were powering the, the conference. Um, you know, it seemed like it ended with you know, hey, we're going to work together to fix stuff, yay, but with no actual. Uh, no actual agreements, you know, and I'd say, and I've said this for years, Jason, to me, people, especially from the left, when I want to talk about, you know, everything, everything that, that you do, anything a business does or a Western country does in a, in a third world or developing nation, it's, it's colonialism. Oh, that's colonial. It's colonialism. <laughs> well, what's more colonialism than saying you're not allowed to develop your economy the same way that we did? You, you, we're, we're going to dictate the terms on which you can develop your economy. And, and at the end of the day, there is a tremendous amount of infrastructure and investment needed to, to build these, these, uh, and they're not next gen, by the way, but to build these renewable uh, energy sources versus throwing up a coal plant, getting a shipload of coal brought over and burning it, powering your country, you know, you know put, putting a gas pipeline in. It's it, like, yeah, there's a reason that people still use fossil fuel fuel sources it's because they're cheap and available and reliable and trying to tell these colonial countries or these developing countries that hey i know we developed this way you're not allowed to do it this way because it's dirty and wrong i know we did it and we're rich rich and healthy now because of it but you can't do it that way like it to me like how is that any more colonialism than any of this other stuff that that, that the do-gooders try to impose upon developing nations it actually is 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 almost uh, more of of a colonialism mentality because uh, it's making you more reliant on those on the developed countries and making these developing countries no. 
less able to succeed on their own. No, yeah, I so totally... you can go you can go mine coal in your country, but oh no, you got to buy solar panels from U.S. or China. Like you know, there, there's not going to be a solar panel factory in some <clears throat> developing African nation. You're you're now relying on, <laughs> and guess what? Probably going to be very many people there who, there who can fix it once it breaks. You know, I uh, being here in East Tennessee, you know, we we've been a, a great uh, benefactor of of hydropower, nuclear power, and and you know, nuclear power is is the cheapest and cleanest form of of energy of energy production in the world. And you know, I look at these countries and I think about Germany, for example, who I have a lot of opinions about Germany, and none of them are, are wholly positive. Um, you know, they they are they always have a an air of superiority. They always are trying to say a lead on green, but you know what? They get almost, they get 40% of their electricity comes from coal. Yep. You know, uh, 10 years ago, they had about a quarter of its energy produced from nuclear energy from 17 reactors. They're taking and, and all the plants they, offline. They're taking all the plants offline. They get less than 10% from six reactors. What, what, what I love is <laughs> they took the plants offline after Fukushima in Japan. It's like, dude, you don't have any fault lines in Germany. <laughs> there was a nuclear accident there because somebody was dumb enough to build a nuclear facility on a massive fault line. That wasn't smart. Building one and no, in Germany. And no threat of tsunamis either. In no, building one in Germany, there ain't no, there ain't no fault line. You know, there's not going to be a tsunami in Munich. <laughs> like, come it's, on. It's just such, I mean, it's such a farce. I mean, like uh, the, the, the climate, look, I, I I understand that our that that I want to keep our climate clean. I think it should be better. I even know that there's a difference from when I was a kid here at the foothills of the Smokies. I can see them, you know, like when I was a kid growing up, sometimes it was difficult to see through the haze. And, and now you don't get that anymore. So I'm super stoked that, you know, my kid gets to grow up with a full view of the mountains every day. And I didn't have that. You know, now almost 40 years of 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 progress and clean energy has has allowed allowed the mountains to really revitalize and become a jewel again of of our area and a lot of that's thanks to the leadership that we've had in tennessee like senator alexander um but but look it, it it's like these people get together they they're flying these private jets they have the, the generators out back they have their own countries aren't producing um the, their countries are more reliant on coal really to some degree the united states is um yeah. And somehow we're the we're the bad guy in this whole situation. It's really all about making the U.S. a less competitive, neutered country because we are the envy of the world. We and and, and you know the last three administrations have really fallen into that trap of of kind of taking the U.S. out of out of being the leader, uh, the world leader. Whether it's through free trade, whether it's through energy production, whether it's through military strength, like it's we're just. A completely we're completely listless right now i i agree yeah i think i think there's a great destabilization campaign that you know russia and china are no great friends necessarily but i i do think whether intentionally or not they're working together very well uh russia from a more of a political standpoint and china more of an economic standpoint to push policies that uh that can appeal to certain groups in the united states and to push and to push them in a way in the united states that that gin people up, but their policies that on the Russian front destabilize us politically and on the Chinese front destabilize, destabilize us uh, economically. And, and how the greater public and how, and more importantly, how elected officials don't understand that this is a campaign against us. And they're, you know, they're bought hook, line, and sinker into it because it may give them 
temporary political power tomorrow, despite the fact that what's it going to be worth if, you know, in 10 years, there ain't no power to power to have. Oh, just all about, you know, and this whole narrative of owning the libs and doing all this dumb stuff. Like, look, when I, you know, I still believe among a list of failures of the Trump administration, um, but the, the greatest one happened, you know, from the outset and, and not following through in the Trans-Pacific Partnership. That no, would have no, been a no, no. great he, way. Hey, it was a flawed agreement. It wasn't. It wasn't free, man. It, it was, there, not, was, there, there was still there was still massive restrictions all, all across the the deal. It was a bad deal. Well, there's no free trade. I mean, there's no such thing as free trade. But but to but to have a way that that neuters Chinese influence in the region. Now China's going to be a part of the the TPP agreement that the framework that we've left. And look, it also there, there's also direct correlation, I believe, to not being a part of that agreement and having a a, a massive a massive speed up of, of farm closures and farm bankruptcies that, that were utilized to have a massive socialist, uh, you know, bailout that was then put forth by the Trump administration. So. Well, but I, I can tell you on the TPP, one, one of the issues there was, you know, China, uh, or Vietnam wanted to carve out for their rice industry, rice and textile industry. Uh, Canada wanted to carve out for, for uh, lumber and dairy. Uh, the U.S. did not want to carve out that there was there was a carve out from the uh, dispute resolution system for tobacco. Uh, you know, there was all these. I mean, TPP died death by death by a thousand cuts. I mean, it was it was going to go down regardless. Trump put a put a you know a quicker into it than probably would have happened. But there was there were so many problems in the TPP, and it wasn't just the U.S. It was it was every country putting in their little piece, and that was one of those deals that I think was a was. It, it was a mirage. It was. It was. It always looked like it was there, but it was never going to be closed because there was. There was just. There were so many holes in the boat. It eventually would have sank. Yeah, I, I think that there was a, there was a great opportunity just to have that conversation and to lessen Chinese and, influence. And in full disclosure, I was working actively against the TPP on the tobacco carbide issue. Actually, that's that's when I got to speak at the uh, at the at the uh, uh, Wednesday morning meeting at the. Uh, 2012 convention. I've spoken between Sam Brownback and Phyllis Schlafly. Uh, really? Yeah. Uh, I, I asked Grover. I was like, I was like, you really want me to speak to between Brownback and Schlafly? He's like, yeah, yeah, we need filler between the celebrities. <laughs> and look so, at you now, a celebrity hey. in your own right. Wee! <laughs> uh, let's move on to some some issues closer to home uh, here, Jason. I guess the, the biggest thing over the last week is the, uh, the passage of and now signing <clears throat> yesterday of the infrastructure bill uh you know uh mcconnell uh leader mcconnell voted for it uh you know kind of hit biden uh, biden yesterday on uh you know the inflationary uh measures that are in place because of uh, of of increased government spending and, and general policies coming out of the biden administration but you know mcconnell it, it was supported the infrastructure bill call has called the bill a godsend and, and largely because you know our our transportation uh, you know, everybody talks about supply chain. Well, supply chain depends on transportation infrastructure, and uh, it's it's aging specifically here in Kentucky. Of course, we had the Brent Spence Bridge, which uh, by several different measures, the number you always hear, especially from the Northern Kentucky Chamber of Commerce, is 3.5% of the nation's GDP crosses that bridge daily, hmm. and it's literally crumbling into the Ohio River. Uh, it carries uh, about double the traffic it was originally intended to carry, and it's like 10 or 15 years past its original uh, expiration date. So, uh, you know, that's gonna that's huge, huge for that bridge because there's just no way. I mean, it would take the entire state's transportation budget for like 
a five or 10 year period just to rebuild that one bridge uh, without tolls, which that's a whole other story why we can't get told which everyone else everywhere uses to build infrastructure but i won't get into that argument on this the user podcast. fee exactly that's what i always call it we won't go there because i i've been on that i've been <laughs> a on that different high show horse. i've been on that high horse uh plenty of previous podcasts um anyway uh you know you, the house you saw far less republicans voting for it largely uh in you know on the political political front. It was actually a letter from a bunch of moderate former uh, former Republican uh, House members got sent yesterday, basically calling out McCarthy for uh, and not necessarily for, for having, for not letting his members vote for it, but, you know, some of these Republicans who voted for it, they're getting death threats, which is insane. Like... And they, they whipped <laughs> against it, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, but I, but I mean, why you know, why leadership won't stand up and say, hey, you know, people took a vote. Some voted one way, some voted the other way. Like, let's move, move on. And they're, you know, they're not speaking out against people, against their own members getting death threats. That's it. I, how hard is it for McCarthy to, to send out a statement and say, hey, you know, I didn't agree with their vote either, but this is that's not a reason to, to threaten to kill them. Like, that's all you have to say. And they won't, they won't even do that, which is ridiculous. But, the, you know, anyway, uh, we'll get we'll get to that part of the conversation here in a, here in a minute. Uh, I'm holding my tongue yeah. for that one. I've, I've got a... <laughs> so the, 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 anyway, the infrastructure bills, bills passed. I know it's a lot of money for Kentucky, a lot of money for, uh, for Tennessee, where you live. Uh, and, you know, do I like everything that's in the bill? No, but it had to be done. We have not had a bill like this dedicated to funding infrastructure. And Trump tried like hell to get one passed. He just, you know, he had no friends on the Hill um, to get it done, but... You know, I think the one real loser in this, though, Jason, is are we still allowed to use the is uh, it's it's infrastructure week joke? I'm, I mean, I think I'm, this is the biggest loser of this whole thing is that infrastructure week joke. <laughs> we have to we have to tuck it away for uh, 40 years from now on this podcast. We can bring it back. How long it was it? That's been what 40 years since the last infrastructure uh, big bill like this or something, something like crazy that. like that. So. We'll have to tuck it away for, for a few. Our kids will have to use it in their podcast to joke about. It's a, it's a, look, I don't like all. Of course, there's no bill I agree with wholly. You know, there's not one. There's not one. Um, but this is great for Tennessee. I, I'll just be completely honest well, with you. And, 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 I, and, and, and something's great for both of our states. There's money in here that without which the Ford investment in the battery facilities that uh, were announced in Tennessee and Kentucky, $11 Kentucky. billion dollars total, that, that – that investment depended on some of the uh, uh, electronic vehicle money that's in this infrastructure bill getting getting passed through. So, you know, we we needed that that bill for Kentucky specifically and, and Tennessee for those facilities to get built. And I think it's I think it's embarrassing from a Tennessee. I mean, like I think Tennessee gets eight billion dollars out of this bill. I mean, it's an insane amount of money for only having two congressmen support it. Like none, nine of the uh, nine Republicans in the House voted against it, and, and our two senators voted against it, which is just insane to me. This is a this this was supported by all the chambers of commerce. It's supported by the Economic Development Authority. It's supported by business leaders across the state. It, like you said, it helps with getting the massive, massive investment from Ford and all the other companies that are here. And and you have an overwhelming majority of people who are against it just because it's proposed by Biden and pushed through. I, you know, I don't know what the, 
what the dissimilarity would have been between uh, Trump's plan, if they ever got it to vote, and, and Biden's plan. You know, I know there's some issues in the workforce and, 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 and what's good labor use on. I mean, but I mean, on, a, lot of, a lot of that stuff got stripped. I mean, a lot of the, the most reprehensible stuff got stripped out of it thanks to Mansion and, and SEMA. I mean, you yeah, know, Mansion is wildly popular in West Virginia. Yeah, there's so the stu- stupid ass, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren. You know the job care is infrastructure, and you know Filipino tilt world operators or infrastructure, and you know like that all, all that stuff got stripped out of it. It is purely a brick and mortar energy, a, energy and 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 transportation infrastructure bill at this point. No, and I think that's exactly how Washington's supposed to work. You know, we it's like the the moderate the moderates revolted and won, and and I think that's the success of that's the success of of Congress. I think it's the success of of the Biden administration. Unfortunately, they have a poor communications team that doesn't know how to capitalize on it. And they just careen from crisis to crisis and sheer panic without really knowing how to utilize a big win. Well, they um, also can't stop creating crises. So that's, well, yeah, that's, that's, right. that's another issue. <laughs> they are. They are. They you, don't, you, don't careen, you don't careen crisis to crisis if there is another crisis to careen to. <laughs> I mean, they can't get out of their way, but this is a huge win. This is not like a Republican win or a Democrat win. This is a win, I think, for for all of America. And, and I'll I say this, too, you know, kind of on that front. I, I, I think just as just as uh, just as I find you know, have you want to vote in the bill, whatever, like, but I find it very objectionable, these Democrats who are already saying, like, we're taking names of any of these Republicans that voted against it, who are then are going to show up at a ribbon cutting or, or a groundbreaking for any of these projects because they voted. That's not how government works either, folks. You know how government <laughs> works is you, 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 you fight against a bill, the bill gets passed. Well, part of your job as a member of Congress, a very minuscule part of your job is voting for things on the floor of Congress. The vast majority of your job is inter is, is you're the interface for your constituents between your constituents and the federal government. And if there's federal money available, even if it's something that you vehemently objected to as a, as a package and didn't want the bill to pass, it is your job as a member of Congress to help the people in your district access money if it's there and available to them. And so for these Democrats to say, I don't want to see any of these Republicans out there at these groundbreakings if they voted against, no, that's BS. The money is there. You're telling me that they're not supposed to try to help their constituents, many of which are going to be Democrats, from accessing the money. That, that's no, that's not that's not how it works either. Like <laughs> it's just everything has to be seen through this through this political lens of, of of win or lose, and that's that's not how the job of a member of Congress is supposed to function. No, we're we're completely polluted in our politics, and like they're all this 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 idea that there has to be this zero sum game where someone has to win and someone has to lose is just. And, and if I don't agree with the policy, harmful. I'm not, I'm not going to help institute it in my district. No, that's, that's stupid. The money's there. It's, it's like, you, that's your job is to help bring that money back to your district. Even if you didn't agree with the bill, because it's it, like it, saying someone that votes for the defense authorization act shouldn't be allowed to nominate people for academies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like you're going to work to get people into better position to help their, help themselves out in their life. And like, this is such a great example of that. And okay. Yeah. I I totally disagree with our, with our delegation voting against, but I hope that they're out here working with local leaders and working with politicians and working with the governor and, and, and to get all this money appropriated the right way and into places where we need it the most. And, and I, I, I suspect they will. I hope they will. 
And now I'll, I'll, I'll kind of use that as a way to pivot to a more local discussion, but also something to talk about a little bit last week. We had uh, Chuck Cordemans from the uh, UK uh, Institute for the Study of Free Enterprise on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got all this money from the, over a trillion dollars now going to be invested in the infrastructure bill. Uh, and billions of it's going to come to Kentucky because of the Brent Spence Bridge. Um, and, and then you get Ford and you know, there's there's huge infrastructure projects all along all across the state that, that are gonna be needed. But every state's gonna face this problem, which is we got that trillion dollars. You got uh, several hundred billion dollars still hanging out there. I know Fayette County. I don't think they've spent really any of the of the uh, Recovery Act uh, money that was given to to the cities and counties. The states only spent about ha- only appropriated about half of theirs. Uh, so you got that money piled up that's that's going to be spent one time project money. Um, and then you have just the regular projects that are going on uh, in in states and localities that in the in the process of of running a government you have to do. And Fayette County uh, talked about last week the uh, new middle school here. Uh, they had a vote uh, on Monday, uh, a vote three to two. The uh, the Fayette County School Board voted to postpone indefinitely the construction of a badly needed new middle school. We have this another accompanying article. Over a thousand middle school students in Kentucky or, or in Fayette County rather just to Fayette County, a thousand middle school students are in uh, portable trailers because they don't have enough space for them because the county is growing. Well, they just had to postpone building a new uh, middle school because the cost estimates in the, just in the past year have risen from 47.2 million to 70.5 million. And most of that cost in- increase was an increase in materials cost. And the other large chunk of it was, was labor because it's harder to find labor and you're having to pay them more to work. Well, Jason, what do you think happens now when you inject on top of uh, what was the Recovery Act, like 800 billion, something like that. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you already have $800 billion in infrastructure and public project investment money, and then you add another trillion on top of it, uh, you know, there's still the same amount of labor force. There's still the same amount of materials available. So, you know, th- this is why with infrastructure, I think it's vitally important that when you recognize an infrastructure project, you know, let, let's just go ahead and, and use this money to reset the board to zero. And moving forward, when you when you recognize you have an infrastructure project that's of great need, do it. Do it today. <laughs> because if, if we had done these projects when Trump had his infrastructure bill, they would cost a third of what they're going to cost us next year when these when these projects get designed and let in 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 you know. And then you're not really you're probably not you're probably not shovel ready until yeah. 2024. I mean, and, so and uh, the, the I mean we're, we're, we've already seen here in Fayette County. At forty-seven million to seventy million for one project in a year, like what do you think the impact of that on the Brent Spence Bridge is? What do you think the impact on that uh, on on you know different lock and dam work that needs to be done across the Ohio River, uh, like like in Paducah or down where the where the Cumberland, Tennessee, and, and the Ohio all meet? You know mm-hmm. these projects they they depend on labor and they depend on raw materials, and those are the two things that are that are in uh, perilously low supply right now. Yeah, and, yet, and we're not taking inflation seriously. We have 100 million plus people out of the workforce. Like, you know, this is this is a, a maybe the, a bad time to be spending this. We're not going to get as much bang for our buck as if we would have done it in 2017, no doubt. And, and, you know, I don't know what the mechanism is, 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 is to address needs right away. You know, people are so adverse to taking on debt. Um, on these building projects. And I know with, within our school system, we badly need repairs to our, our county school systems. We badly need new buildings built and new schools built. But the, the county government is so just opposed to 
to taking on any debt, not just, you know, they don't have a debt problem. They have a surplus. And like, and to me, that's not the government's money to keep, you know, that that's the, that's the people's money who paid into it. But we have leaders who are so afraid of losing in primaries because they spent money or uh, did something worthwhile uh, for the community that they're just holding on to holding on to cash and the cash gets less and less uh, valuable, especially in a time like this. And so, you know, the whole political system is just bro- government is broken because the political system is broken and there's there's no real leadership and everyone's just looking to stay alive for another two, four, six years. And I think that's that's the real problem. Well, and I think there's a long term misunderstanding of both parties about the role of government. And that's resulted in in a confusing and frankly stupid view on on government spending. It, it, you know. <laughs> construction of schools construction of that 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 is the government i i'm a small government uh you know conservative but that is the very limited role of government it's supposed to be to build physical infrastructure for public education and transportation you know but we've spent so much money on on ridiculous ass stuff that that is so far out bound out of bounds of the original view of of government and what our tax structure is set up to be able to accommodate, what our, what our uh, general public social structure is, is set up to, to accommodate government interfering in, that you know, we, we've, we've flittered away so much cash on just crap. No, but 100%. Now you have conservatives say, well, we're, we're not, you know, no, no spending on, you know, you have, you have people elected to government, Jason, that don't want to spend money on anything. They just want to hoard Nothing. it like Scrooge McDuck in a freaking tower. They want to fill the Washington Monument with pennies. You know, and and but that that is the role of government is to build infrastructure and to build schools. And you know what? If you got to increase taxes to do it, that's fine because that's the role of government. It means the government's not taxing enough or taxing correctly. But we're also spending so much money on this other useless stuff that's not the role of government that you can't, in good conscience, support raising more taxes until you cut out the crap that you're spending money on. You know, if you lose your job or or you take a pay cut or you got less money coming in. Yeah, you you might you might dial back your 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 cable service. You might you know spend a little bit less on on going out to eat every night. Like that's that's how budgets work. And the the, the miss and it's largely from the left the misunderstanding of the left on how basic government is supposed to function has now driven the right to go insane in their own right and just refuse to spend money on the basic function of government. And it's it, it's so frustrating because. If you if you put your take your partisan lens off and just look at it, you see the problem. It just nobody will, nobody will, will, nobody will talk about it. You know, if you have a if you have a, a local government that is responsive to its voters and its population, I think you see uh, better leadership. And I think we I, luckily, I live in a town called Maryville. We have a great school system. They invest very appropriately in the public education system, and sometimes they come and ask for a tax. But everybody knows exactly what that money's being used for. They know they're getting a tremendous return on investment from that. It keeps our schools the top of the state. And when the school system says, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's maybe been eight years, but they do come and they ask for a tax and they show exactly what the plan is, what it'll be used for. And they come and they get it and they follow through and they keep their word. And, and I would vote for a tax increase tomorrow if they ask for it in Maryville City School System. If the Blunt County government asked for it. I know exactly how they spend their money and they don't spend it very wisely or they don't spend it at all. Yeah. Uh, especially from an education frame point. And like, 
you know, they, they're keeping a surplus in, in a way that I think is inappropriate for government. Um, the Darkwing Duck, the Scrooge McDuck example is a great example. Um, but they're so terrified because of this nationalization of politics and this bastardization of the role of government that, that everybody thinks that government shouldn't spend money or invest in like everybody has debt. I have a house payment. I have a mortgage. Like it's totally legitimate and reasonable for the government to, to look at things the same way and investing in infrastructure, but they just don't because um, there's just this, 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 I don't, I don't know if it's an idiocy or what it is that people have just completely disassociated themselves from, from what a legitimate functioning government should look like and who actual leaders are instead of ideologues. Yeah. All right. Um, let's run through uh, some other kind of sh- shorthand on a couple of stories real quick. Uh, Steve Bannon has reported for his uh, his contempt uh, uh, charges. Uh, first person charged with contempt of Congress since 1983. <clears throat> so uh, been a while. Um, He's finally making history. He always said he was a history maker. Hey. Uh, so you know, by the way, the last person charged with contempt was was a. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, last person charging attempt was Rita Lavelle, former environmental official under uh, under Reagan. Last person found guilty of contempt. It's one of my uh, old favorite uh, radio hosts, G. Gordon Liddy. Uh, oh, so, uh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, you know, R.I.P. It's, it's not a yeah. It's not a not a very frequently used uh, 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 charge. We'll we'll you know looking look, look like Mark Meadows may want to. Join him in a in a holding cell. So, yeah, we'll I I couldn't. I, I don't wish for. I mean, I've wished for only the worst for Steve Bannon. I mean, it, uh, <laughs> he has a, a a complete path of destruction, not just in the U.S. But you know, I've I've cleaned up his messes in Europe too, where he's just left a lot of people holding the bag and not followed through on stuff. So, um, it's not just the U.S. where he is a, a complete. Um, you know, just he's a nincompoop and, and he thinks he's a lot smarter than he is but he has a, a trail of destu- destruction lies and, and incompetence across the world uh alex jones host of infowars found uh liable in order to pay damages to eight sandy hook families and defamation lawsuits so uh i hate, hate, hate to see it hate to see just it. i hate that for alex <laughs> um that's the argument where he said that no one should take his show seriously, correct? That was yes, yeah, no, that, yeah, that, yeah, that's correct. Always which, a good sign, which I agree with. You know, no, I no, it's, it's <laughs> correct. It's just um, <laughs> uh, closer to home, uh, we've got a uh, uh, headline from our friend Nick Storm of Kentucky Fried Politics. Trump loving suspended Northern Kentucky lawyer starts gubernatorial bid. Uh, Eric Dieters has declared he's going to run on his uh, uh, on the, uh, the his. YouTube show, the Bull, the Bulldog Show. You may remember Eric Dieters as uh, have, having his law license suspended in both Ohio and Kentucky, uh, notably in Ohio, for threatening to burn down the uh, Hamilton County Courthouse. Uh, he's also told the Kentucky Bar Association to pound sand. He's going to keep practicing law, uh, although in his legal defense, he uh, says he's not actually practicing law. He's merely managing the law firm that he founded. He is retired from the law. Um, of course, Andy Bashir then promptly turned around and sent out a fundraising email saying that another Republican is running, running against him. So, uh, you know, uh, honestly, the more crazy people into this race, because we also have, well, just we have like the leader of the three percenters in Kentucky is also declared he's going to run for governor. 
So, uh, you know, the more crazies that get in, the better, because it dilutes the crazy person vote. So uh, it's more likely for a sane nominee to come out of what's going to be a crowded primary field. Uh, article in the uh, op-ed piece in The Hill, uh, on The Hill Online, titled Meet the Red State Governor Democrats Should Nominate for uh, in 2024 Instead of Biden or Harris. Uh, this is, comes from Joe Concha, who I've never heard of. Uh, he is says uh, it is byline on here that he is a media and politics columnist for The Hill. And uh, he uh, promotes Andy Bashir as being the Democrat nominee for president, uh, citing his uh, winning with a moderate message and governing in a bipartisan manner to which the Herald leaders uh, own political feed tweeted, has this person ever followed Kentucky politics? <laughs> I mean, it's just laughable here, I, you know, I know you're in Tennessee. I don't know how much you get of the Andy Bashir stuff, but just the, the idea that this guy is governed in a bipartisan manner or that he even won as a moderate. I mean, he, he, he got elected governor because he was not Matt, uh, it was not uh, Matt Bevin. I mean, that's, that, yeah, that's take, 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 taking any lesson beyond the, beyond that out of the 2019 election is a fool's errand, uh, as I have said repeatedly, uh, you know, so that's, <laughs> that's fun. Let's see, let's see what the, what the nation is saying about Kentucky. Um, I think our governor is going to get primaried. There's some rumors about him getting primaried because he's not been far right enough. But you know, Governor Lee's had an incredibly successful agenda. Well, I, I, I love very the, conservatives. Idaho is my favorite governor's race in the country right now, where you have lieutenant governor who keeps every time that, that the governor leaves because the, they still have the rule that we had back in the 70s here where if the governor leaves the, the borders of the state, then lieutenant governor is, gov is governor. And so like three different times now, lieutenant governor, uh, when the governor's left the state, lieutenant governor has come, has taken over and like repealed mask mandates. And like, I think they I think passed like an abortion, uh, an abortion executive order. And so now Trump has endorsed the lieutenant governor in the primary oh, yeah. against the sitting governor. So that'll be, Janice McGeechan and Brad Little's a great governor in, yeah. in Idaho. And uh, I, I should actually uh, hook you up with one of his advisors because they've got some funny things. I mean, like I text him all the time. Every time there's a story, you know, he just I just send him an article about it. He's like, it's just well, the craziest thing he's ever seen. We've talked about it in the podcast a bunch of times. Uh, there was a there's a problem back in the uh, in the 70s when uh, Julian Carroll was governor. This back when, when they were elected separately, the governor, lieutenant governor. And uh and every time that Julian Carroll would leave the state, well, one time, uh, uh, Thelma Stovall, who was lieutenant governor, she called a special session and passed like four bills while <laughs> Julian Carroll had left the state. And in 2016, we actually, you know, 16, for, when we went to the RNC, because it was the first time that, that we had, uh, you know, re Republican governor in a while. Uh, and, and because of the way that the line of secession works, Kentucky, uh, we were actually very concerned because we had to, to double check and call the lawyers to make sure that 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 law had been completely repealed because there was going to be one day where like the first four or five people in the in the chain to uh, to secede the governor would all be in Cleveland and the next person up would have been Andy Bashir when he was the attorney general. So we like we had to <laughs> do our due diligence to make sure that Bashir like wasn't going to be governor for 14 hours or something while everybody was up in Cleveland. <laughs> Uh, Luckily, Tennessee only has one statewide elected official for a state government, <laughs> and that is the governor. Uh, the lieutenant governor is elected by the Senate and has very limited authority. And uh, ours, so, has, ours, has, ours is elected by the state and has no authority. So, you know, even literally, better. Literally, they just have a 
Pulse. Have a pulse. That's your only requirement. Um, <laughs> let me run through our regular filing uh, uh, update. Thomas Massey did officially file on the 12th, uh, a mere like three or four hours after Kentucky Private Politics had a piece out wondering whether or not Massey was going to run for re-election. Uh, the longest serving Kentucky never to serve in Congress, a man whose uh, docile tones I could listen to read the phone book uh, and, and used to fall asleep at night, just so relaxing and and uh, soothing to listen to him speak. How Rogers saw back for another term in office, uh, first elected in 1980. Still good friends with our former Congressman John Duncan. Yes, Al Rogers is a good man. Um, let's see here. We got Bruce Pritchard, who I know nothing about. Filed as a Democrat in the fourth district in Henderson. That district will look absolutely nothing like what it looks like today. Come redistricting. I still, you know, Jason, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, you, you, you put your name on the, on the line a couple of times as a candidate. I don't understand these people filing for office right now when the, these maps are going to be completely redrawn. Going like, to change. Like two, well, two things. One, you don't know where the hell your, who your constituents are going to be that you're signed up to, 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 to represent. And two, by, by popping your head up this early and, and, and filing, that gives your opponent every opportunity to draw you out of the district. Like, how many of these people filed for office today are not going to live in the districts in which they're filing for because they said, oh, I don't want to ring up that guy. Draw the map I mean, out. The quality of candidates running, this is not surprising to know that they don't think that strategically. Yes. It's uh, so you're in the state house. You got Russell Weber, uh, incumbent uh, from uh, Bullock County, has filed for reelection. Uh, Steve Rawlings, who I'm not familiar with, uh, has filed to primary Ed Massey in the 66th. I'm um, hearing a lot of rumblings about uh, pretty heavy primaries in Northern Kentucky. Uh, that's really the only notable uh, notable new filings in the House over the last week. Uh, should note uh, at the at the judge level, uh, a friend of the show, Sarah Beth Gregory, uh, currently serving as chief of staff to the auditor Mike Harmon, has filed a run for judge. So uh congratulations to sbg noted noted star wars fan uh sarah beth gregory uh yes oh well uh, kind of kind of moving along i run through here just seeing who all i love i love that especially judges just seeing people i've met randomly through the years in politics oh wow that person's run for judge that's crazy there's so many freaking uh judgeships uh you know the last thing we want to talk about uh jason is, is the and there's actually something here in kentucky that i kind of want to Kind of want to bring in, you know, you, both you and I have served at, at higher at high levels in party politics, uh, you know, local, national, uh, both as volunteers and staff. Uh, so the Wyoming Republican Party has voted <laughs> to voted to kick uh, Liz Cheney out of the party and no longer officially recognize her as a Republican. You know, when I was, when I was working for RPK, there was all sorts of times where people would pop up and run for office and they'd be crazy people or, or you know, Somebody, some Republican who would say something offensive or whatever. And my, my standard response to Republicans or, or to the press on, on, on those issues always was, listen, any, anyone who wants to can show up at the courthouse, fill out their, their voter registration form and, claim, and, and say they're Republican. There's literally nothing that the party can do or anybody can do to stop that. And that's all, that's all I would ever say that because that is factual. Anyone, anyone is, is allowed. We're, we're not we're supposed to be the party, Jason, of the Big Ten. We're supposed to be the party without the, without the quotas and without the, the litmus test to, to be a member of the party. Anybody can be a Republican. Now, you know, we can have a fight in the primaries about who can, who can be elected to serve, serve as a Republican. We can have a fight at, at committee meetings and conventions about who can be elected to serve on a county, county committee or a state committee or, 
you know, a, a, a YR chairmanship or whatever, you know, that that's, those are all different fights, but we're not supposed to be the party who says you can't be a Republican. I find it incredibly objectionable. No, I think, um, you know, there's no party registration in Tennessee. We have open primaries and we've been very successful in the state. We have I, great I, by, by the way, leadership. By, by the way, I just, Mike Adams and, and, and Adam Koenig, both former podcast guests, both very good friends of mine were, were, talking about that on Twitter the other day. And my response to him was, uh, ask any Red Sox fan, do you think they'd want Yankees fans having a hand in picking their starting lineup? I don't like open primaries either. You know, I like I, to, I, look, I think uh, the, the master of open primary wins is uh, you, you, get, you get the genius Josh Thomas, and he has been both successful in Kentucky and Tennessee. And, and if it, I mean, what he did in, in 2010 leading the Tennessee GOP uh, to electoral success, I mean, that, that was from open primaries. and um, you know, I just, I just, I've seen the success here, and, and closed primaries terrify me. I have a, I have a just a moral objection to it. You know, I, I don't want some someone who's not a member of my club picking who's going to be the president of my club. I don't like that. How are you supposed to get more people in the club? It's about growing the party. That's what you, I always you, think. You, you grow the club, and then once they're members, they get to vote. But anyway, <laughs> on to on to Liz Cheney. You know, I just, I find it appalling that that even if you don't agree with them that you just say well you can't be one you can't even be a republican anymore we're not we're not going to recognize you as one like no but, get, i have no problem with oh, i i do have a party with a problem with a party complaining about it the, the again going back to people misunderstanding the role of 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 institutions jason the role of the party whether it's the county party committee and this flared up yesterday here in Kentucky with a county party committee releasing a like 2000 word soliloquy on uh, on on gay conversion therapy and why they're opposed to banning it in Kentucky. County party, state party, affiliated groups, Republican Women's Clubs, YRs, CRs, you know, whatever. The job of those groups inside of the party structure, and this goes all the way up to the state party and the national party, the job of those, of those groups is to identify, recruit, and elect candidates for that party. They're not policymaking bodies. And to make, and to, and to, to make broad-based decisions that are policy-related, to make overly complex, ill-informed Stupid, stupid statements, which, by the way, in the case of this one up in Northern Kentucky, Jason, newsflash, everybody, I helped with the polling for the ban conversion therapy people. It polls really well. A a vast majority of Republicans support banning it because they don't view it as as some sort of theological thing. They view it as abusing children and they want to ban it. A a majority of, 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 of evangelical Christians support banning it based on the polling numbers we got. So for the party to come out and say this is for the for the party to, to issue a statement saying this is not what the party supports, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and, and when you're when you work for the party, you speak for the party, which includes people who don't share your policy viewpoint. So it's incredibly dangerous and incredibly stupid to me for a state party to say we're no longer going to recognize this person, or for a local party to say. We take this position on this policy issue. Well, guess what? Unless you have individually polled every registered Republican in the in the the entity, the body in which you you represent, whether it's a county, a state, you know, whatever, unless you've polled every single one of them and you've taken you've taken a vote, 
You don't know what they what they what they believe. Therefore, you should not be taking a hard and fast position on 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 that specific issue. It's you're there you're there to to identify and elect, identify, nominate, and elect Republican candidates to office. You're not there to make policy. You're not there to decide who and who who can and can't be, be a Republican. You're there to elect these people. That's it. That's your job. That's wild. Coming out and coming out in favor of child abuse is a bold strategy for the, for that for that <laughs> yeah. group. I mean, that is a um, and look the list. Anything look and the thing is, it has no meaning. Like it doesn't kick her out of the primary. She still can run the primary. Like it has. It, it's just no, you, performance. You, you you can even you can even have this vote and 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 just say we 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 endorse anyone but Liz Cheney. I'm even fine with that. But to say we're no longer going to even recognize you as a Republican. What are you doing? <laughs> what, like you said, what does that mean? There's no force of anything to it. And also, that's not your that's not your job as a part as, as a state party structure. That's not your job. But and the thing that's even crazier is like she is very conservative. Like yes, she has. This is Liz what, Cheney. This is Dick Cheney's daughter. She has a top five like vote conservative voting record. She's not some lapdog of Nancy Pelosi. Like she opposes everything that she that, that she puts out there legislatively. Like, and as conservative, you're supposed to be for the rule the, of law, and whether one, it's coming yeah. from inside your house or outside your house. The one place she differs. Someone, the one place she differs is an armed insurrection. She doesn't yeah. like that. <laughs> and like, so you want someone to be, and 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 like, I think Republicans are used to at least hold their members a lot more accountable whenever they violate the law than Democrats ever did. There was always an excuse for Democrats. Yes. And now Republicans have, have taken that same vein. We were always more uh, willing to hold our members accountable. And Liz Cheney is, is in that old school vein. And to have a party, I mean, that the GOP wouldn't exist with any money without the Cheneys. I mean, it wouldn't, the, the GOP in Wyoming period wouldn't exist without the Cheneys, and, and to completely we, we, we wouldn't we, we'd, we'd have President Gore responding not to 9/11 without the Cheneys. And that's actually a great that's actually a great point. The 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 whole thing about the 2020 election, Trump lost. Period. Like there's no like qualif- yeah. qualifier anything. He lost. And I'm old enough to remember the GOP printing bumper stickers that said "Sore Loserman" with the yeah. Al Gore campaign. And, and we've just evolved into this victimized, angry, dumb party. And like, it's, it's completely, it, it's terrifying to me. Why would anyone want to join our party? Or the well, Democrats? I, like, I, I do, I'm, I'm going to take our think, party to task. I do think there was a lot of time where, where our party felt like Democrats, like you said, Democrats didn't get held responsible for anything, whether it was dangerous statements stupid acts, uh, flat break of the law. The Democrats just, there was always an excuse. They always got away with it. And at some point, the party just started to say, well, if they're going to do it, we're going to do it too, which I think that's just an incredibly stupid and childish way to govern. Like, no, you you, you have to be better than them, you know? And the American people saw through that. I mean, yeah, we always have... Just, it, it frustrates me to see what's happened in, in, in our party. And you know, I'm, I'm almost totally out of politics. I've, I've taken a much more active in, yeah. in international law practice and, and um, you know, working in collegiate athletics as a, as a consultant. And then you, doing you, some... you have, unfortunately, you have, you have other marketable skills, whereas I, I do not. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, kinda... just, it's just frustrating. It's just frustrating because, I, you know, we both have worked so hard 
and done a tremendous amount of work in putting this party on, on path, what we thought was going to be a really great, there's so many young leaders. You look at Kentucky is blessed with just incredible leadership in the state and statewide elected. Officers. And they're young. They're young. They, that's what I mean. Like whether it's the attorney general or, or, or Ryan or Allison, like, I mean, like everybody, everybody in that, in the, the constitutional offices in Kentucky, like those are, they're all rock stars. Um, did I leave out Matt too? Uh, you left out Mike Adams. I left out Mike Adams. Okay, my bad. Sorry, Mike. Mike, Mike Harmon is great too, but he's old. We're, we're talking about young people. Sorry, okay. Mike. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, but I, but I think I look at Kentucky and I think, wow, what a great state of young leaders that you know you're going to have a governor or two, you're going to have a senator or two that are going to come from that, hopefully, because that's what the Republican Party should look like: a great, uh, young, diverse group of leaders. And, 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 we're, and when we're losing that across the country, whether it's Will Hurd or Adam Kinzinger or Anthony Gonzalez, like there's been some great people who are just over. And listen, I, I, this and this is not a policy uh, discussion. I have I have again, I have said repeatedly, I believe the Republican Party is the Big Ten Party should be the Big Ten Party. where There's plenty of room for everybody with with a variety, a varying degree of policy differences to be in the party together. Uh, you know, as long as you have that kind of base belief in, in limited government and, and free markets and individual freedom, you know, we can work around the edges on everything else. Uh, then there's a time and a place for, for policy arguments and fights. And that's in, that's in primaries or in uh, nomination battles, conventions, you know, where, wherever it may be, there's a time and a place for the, for the policy arguments. You know, but we're now at a point where we're executing vendettas on personal issues. You yeah. didn't support you didn't support this person, whether it was because of a poly, policy disagreement or whatever. You know, I, I'm going to carry out a, a, a vendetta. That, that's that's not how it's supposed to be. You you fight you fight like hell in primary, and then we come together and we go we go beat Democrats. And it's it, it has it has gotten off the track. And you know, I know you know I I, I half joke that I got you know I got I got nowhere else to go, but. You know, this is what I've been doing since I graduated from college. I'm going to keep doing it. And until somebody, until I just get completely burnt and, 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 and run, run out of town on a, on a, on a pole, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I can keep doing to, to, to fight for, fight for the party and make sure that, 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 that the good guys win. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about policy. I'm talking about attitude and understanding the role of government and the role of the party. And, you know, we could, I'll support people that I disagree with on policy. Just don't be an idiot. Just don't be an idiot. And, and like, I think that that point is such a great point. And, and you think of it, it's personality over policy. And a great example of that is, is who replaced Liz Cheney as conference chair, Elise Stefanik. It's like, she's not there with Republicans on policy. She voted, she votes, she has a conservative record, I think around 70% where Liz Cheney's is 96%. She voted against maybe, or I guess really the only signature legislative achievement that Trump administration had in the tax tax cut bill um, and the tax cut and jobs act, she voted against it yet because she's out there saying just batshit crazy stuff because she sees a chance to get reelected and increase power. She's somehow seen as a true Republican when Liz Cheney is not, when she's been a champion of conservative values her entire life and her voting record reflects it. Um, just is just an incredibly dangerous place to be. And I think you hit the nail on the head. We're more about personality than policy. And when it, when you get Republican personalities over Republican policies, you lose every time because we're probably a lot of Republican personalities are fairly off-putting. 
Yeah. Um, all right. One last note before, before we go. Uh, I, I feel like it's becoming like a, uh, a regular feature on the podcast. Uh, and I only bring it up because I, I am going to uh, Asheville, North Carolina here uh, later this week. But Congressman uh, for Asheville, uh, our favorite noted Nazi, Madison Cawthorn, is, uh, you know, now he's shifting. He's, he's not going to run for the district he's currently in. He's going to run for a neighboring district that the was was drawn by the North Carolina General Assembly for the Speaker of, of the North Carolina House. Speaker of North Carolina House has has, has has taken a pass, it sounds like, and decided he's in fact not going to run this, for the seat that he drew for himself so as not to uh, run up against uh, uh, Madison Cawthorn. Uh, Madison Cawthorn now won't tell anybody where he lives because you know now you there's not any. There's not a, a constitutional requirement that you live in your district. It's just you have to live in, in the state in, in which your district lies. Uh, you know, I won't get into issues in Kentucky on that. Maybe one, but, you know. Uh, you don't Speaking of lies, Madison Cawthorn. Yes, Madison Cawthorn. So, you know, so, so he, he, he won't, but he, he won't tell anybody where he lives, uh, which, A, there's nothing wrong with running in a district that's not yours. There's nothing legally wrong. It might hurt, might hurt you electorally. But uh, old Madison Cawthorn is, is switching districts and ran the guy who drew the district specifically for himself out of the race. So uh, I, this this guy, Jason, just what a, what a you know, I, I was first introduced to him because we went to, went to Asheville last year and I went to North Carolina rather last June. And I was like, God, who 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 is this? This is the ugliest, most god awful yard signs I've ever seen in my life because it was like an eagle background. Like a like a uh, kind of like you know faded like a fade out eagle background with an American flag then superimposed on top of the eagle, and then a picture of him in the middle, and then it said barely legibly in like colored lettering Cawthorn across the bottom, and I, it may have said somewhere on it what office he was running for. I didn't see it just because there was so much other stuff going on on, on the sign. I mean, it was the most illegible horrible and had to be expensive to produce because of the amount of colors in it yard sign i've ever seen in my life and like I, it was it was just it's a campaign operative i was like oh god who did that they should never work on a campaign ever again <laughs> remember everything i said about how fortunate kentucky is to have great young leaders none of that applies to madison Gothel. <laughs> And yeah. it is just like, I mean, he is such, I mean, he values nothing but himself. He lies constantly. He is ignorant of history. Uh, he's a self-absorbed, egotistical charlatan. And, and that's what sells though <laughs> these days. And like, I, I can't, I can't think of a worse ambassador for, for young Republicans or of someone that is worse that, that we can say, look at this guy, look at, look at Madison Cawthorn. He's who you should join. You know what? Give me Daniel Cameron a billion times a day over, over who Madison Cawthorn is. Not to mention intellectually, would run circles around him. I mean, he's. Uh, I don't know how the party has gone from, from from where it is to electing someone like him. And you know, it's. Um, but you know, Martin Meadows is the reason why we got Madison Cawthorn because he yeah. had Trump endorse his like friend's wife, right? That yeah, just yeah, was yeah. A terrible campaigner and. Um, you know, Martin Meadows continues to, um, you know, he is the gift that keeps on giving. He is not an intelligent man either. And, and this a, is what has great, happened. He's a great fundraising tool for Democrats. Uh. <laughs> Incredible fundraising tool. No, I, I just, 
look, there's so many great young people that there's like, we've unfortunately almost, we've almost lost a generation of Republican leaders from the Trump administration, like this new era. Like there's, there's the 35 to 45 year old young Republican leaders are just gone. Like, and they're, they've doing like Carlos Corbello in Florida. Like think of all the people that we've just lost. Um, Alice, here's, here's the good news though, Jason, because you, you and I know a lot of them because you know, we've served through YRs yeah. with them or, or, met, or met them through different YR type stuff. They're not gone from the party. They're just, they're just gone from public life but they could probably be drawn back in if the party corrects course. Like, they're, you know, these, these are the people that you, that you want to bring back in at some point. Um, you know, we just have to, have to get the party back into a position where a sane person wants to be associated, just be associated on, on a ballot with it. And it's a good time for them to make money in the private sector. They're at, they're at the yes. high earning part of their life. So they'll come back uh, better funded and, and more equipped for leadership. So that, that is the good news about it. So absolutely. Uh, All right. Well, Jason, we, we've we've run run way long, but I think it was a good discussion, especially the foreign policy stuff. I hope uh, hope listeners uh, we've gone a little wonkus the last two weeks. Uh, heavy deep talk on uh, on uh, economic policy last week with the Kentucky uh, Institute for the Study of Free Enterprise and uh, and doing foreign, uh, foreign policy this week. But uh, I hope everybody's everybody enjoyed it. It's still kind of a, it's kind of a dearth of state news until we really start getting up towards general assembly session after Thanksgiving. Um, I'm going to start aiming towards doing what we did last year and having uh, people from some trade associations, the chamber, others on to talk about uh, kind of their legislative priorities looking towards, especially with the budget uh, next year, uh, what the legislative priorities are. So we, hopefully uh, here the next next uh, couple of weeks, start returning back to a little bit more uh, Kentucky focused as we look towards General Assembly 2022. But uh, Jason Emmert, thank you for coming on and talking foreign policy with us, man. Thank you, Trey. I'm happy to be the foreign correspondent for you. And uh after that Tennessee versus Kentucky victory, I'm looking forward to sweeping yeah. the basketball series this year. At least we didn't throw any trash in the field. You know, that's that's, that's good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as always, you can uh, Kentucky Politics Weekly wherever you stream podcasts. If you get us on uh, Apple Pod Podcasts, please be sure to give us a review. And wherever you get podcasts, uh, give us a, a subscribe so you get that notification when it uh, it comes live. Oh, uh, one last thing that I, I totally forgot about. I did want to say uh, welcome to Austin Horn, who uh, moved from – the uh, state journal in Frankfurt and is now the, the new uh, the new uh, political reporter for the Herald Leader and also happy trails to Jack Brammer, who is retiring uh, after 45 years of uh, recovering Frankfurt and also uh, melancholy happy trails to Larry Hopkins, former uh, former congressman who uh, passed away at the age of uh, I believe 88. I saw that correctly. Uh, he will he'll be missed here in Central Kentucky. Uh, as always, uh, you can get us wherever you get podcasts. We'll be back next week with another Kentucky Politics Weekly.